Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. Both of Georgia's Republican U.S. Senators are calling for Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to resign. David Perdue and Kelly Leffler released a joint statement Monday accusing the Secretary of State of, quote, failing to deliver honest and transparent elections, close quote. Now, Secretary Raffensperger, on the other hand, says he won't be stepping down. Coming up in just a moment, we'll have more on this development and a conversation about how much money will be spent toward Georgia's U.S. Senate runoff elections. And we'll talk about county commissions. Do you really know what they do? Interesting conversation. Now, on to the other always ongoing news. The global number of COVID-19 cases has now surpassed 50 million. That's according to the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. Now, worldwide, the number of deaths is more than 1.2 million. And we should note, it's believed 33 million have recovered. So that's always good news. The United States remains among the count the countries with the most cases alongside India and Brazil. Now, here in Georgia, public health officials report a rise in the number of newly confirmed cases. And this latest data from the State Department of Public Health indicates that there's been an increase, about six, a little bit over 6% in the last two weeks. As for the total number of confirmed cases here in Georgia, as of this broadcast, it stands at 374,181. Now, the number of coronavirus-related hospitalizations has also grown steadily. The number is 32,483. And those of those, 6,097 have been ICU admissions. And since the state began recording deaths, well, the number is at 8,223 since March. And as always, we get our information from the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, as mentioned, Secretary Brad Raffensperger says he will not resign despite calls from both of Georgia's U.S. Senators, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, both calling on him to step down. In fact, their joint statement reads, quote, There have been too many failures in Georgia elections this year, and the most recent election has shined a national light on the problems, close quote. Raffensperger says he will continue working to make sure, quote, every legal vote counts and that illegal votes don't count. He has called allegations of widespread voter fraud in Georgia unlikely. Joining me now to discuss this, and I'm sure he's having a lot of fun covering all this, is WAB reporter (laughs) Emil Moffitt. He's been following his story and the voting process here in Georgia. He's been all over the place. Emil, (laughs) it's a story. It's a new story that just keeps on giving, eh? A new adventure every day. So it's it's been an interesting, uh, interesting couple of weeks here, Rose. Uh, when that joint statement was released yesterday, there was this collective wow heard across <laughs> Georgia. Um, any idea why the senators felt the need to put that statement out and 
what proof do they have that Raffensperger is not conducting a fair and transparent recount or election? Yeah, the state uh, the statement uh, released by the senators yesterday didn't contain any specific information or allegations about this mismanagement or lack of transparency. Um, so it's not really clear uh, what exactly they're talking about. Um, but you can kind of have seen this building for several months with with President Trump um, sowing doubt about absentee balloting for so long, mm -hmm. about mail-in voting for so long. And then meanwhile, Brad Raffensperger and his staff and the Secretary of State's office have been building this infrastructure for vote by mail in the state uh, for several months, hundreds of drop boxes mm -hmm. uh, around the state of Georgia. Um, uh, just special rules allowing for people easier access to vote by mail. And so you can kind of see this developing over the last several months. And then, of course, as President Trump's uh, election day lead uh, started evaporate as all of the votes were counted uh, throughout the course of last week and over the weekend, um, then uh, at that point, I think that was kind of the, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back and led them to make this statement. So they're making these statements without any evidence whatsoever, but just based on it could be there could be voter fraud. <laughs> I'm laughing at yeah, you, but it's like it's like you know, no one. And that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, they have been continually asked to provide specific information. Um, uh, Republican National Committee, President Trump, uh, his his spokespeople have been continually asked what uh, data, what evidence do you have? Uh, to suggest that there's widespread voter fraud in Georgia, and they have been unable to produce that information. Uh, the Secretary of State's office is saying, we will investigate any report, any evidence that you bring us, we will look into it. And they continue to say that, but still there has been no credible evidence presented of widespread voter fraud in Georgia. Has Governor Brian Kemp weighed in on either side of this here? Uh, he did. He released a statement yesterday that wasn't as sharp and biting as uh, Senator Leffler in Purdue's statement. It did not call on Brad Raffensperger to resign, but it did uh, pretty much say that, that legal votes should be counted, illegal votes should not be counted, which of course is what Brad Raffensperger is saying as well. He says that you know votes cast, absentee ballots cast by seven o'clock on Tuesday night should be counted. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's working on right now. And that's why he's in hot water with some Republicans is because he says he is respecting the law and is going to count ballots that came in before the deadline. Meanwhile, Emil, where, where do we stand in terms of how many have additional counties now? Have they certified their counts? How far away is Georgia from officially certifying the entire election here? Right now, the count stands at 81 counties that have certified. So that's just over half of the counties in Georgia have certified. The only major county in the metro Atlanta area that has certified is Gwinnett. Um, we're still probably going to have to wait a couple of days for Fulton and DeKalb and Cobb to certify. Uh, Fulton's Board of Elections is set to meet on Thursday, DeKalb and Cobb on Friday. So they are not in any big hurry. The deadline is Friday, but they don't appear to be in any big hurry uh, to certify these elections. They want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed on this a very close count uh, before they certify their elections. The counties have a deadline and the state has a deadline, correct? State has a deadline of uh, next uh, Friday, the 20th. 
and they have been encouraging counties to try to get uh, their certifications in as soon as possible so that the state can certify it because the certification from the state has to happen before the recount can be requested and for it to begin. Secretary of State Raffensperger did say that he does uh, anticipate a recount request from the Trump campaign. However, they cannot request a recount until the count is official, correct? That's right. Yeah, it has to be certified by the state. And then because it's within the 0.5 margin uh, with the difference, which right now it's at 12,000 is the difference between Joe Biden and President Trump with Biden in the lead in Georgia, uh, that it is well within the margin for a recount. And that can be officially requested once it's certified by the state. And Emil, for our listeners who may not be aware, who is overseeing the actual, as these counties are, are counting the ballots, there are what you have like officials or ambassadors or whoever you want to, however you want to title them, that are actually sort of just kind of hanging out, making sure that folks are doing what they're supposed to do, correct? Yeah, you have the county election staff, which is uh, under the purview of the county board of elections. So they kind of manage the election staff and manage the elections director in each county. And then you do have observers as these uh, this counting has been going on, uh, these absentee ballots, you have observers and they have observers from both parties uh, that can stand there and watch and to see if, uh, you know, what's going on and, and, and make sure that everything is on the up and up. Um, there's been some controversy, uh, not really in Georgia, but across mm-hmm. the country about how close um, the observers can stand. And obviously, uh, there, there's some concern about uh, you know, COVID and social distancing. But sure. at the same time, it's not, it's not really, observing is not meant to, you're actually taking part in the process and reading the handwriting on each, on each ballot or each envelope. What you're supposed to do is just stand there and observe that you know, nobody's bringing in uh, ballots or no one's throwing ballots under the table, that kind of thing, as opposed to actually you know, putting your eyes on the ballots and, and making sure that the, um, that the handwriting, the signature matches or that this yeah. person voted for this person. It's supposed to be kind of a more overview of, of monitoring what's going on. And meanwhile, Emil, before we let you go, there is those two runoffs, uh, races obviously coming taking place in January. Folks can now start requesting an absentee ballot, correct? You can. Uh, the Secretary of State's website, that part of that infrastructure that we talked about uh, for mail-in voting was setting up that online portal where you can basically go and request your absentee ballot within a matter of minutes and then have it sent to you. And that is live right now. So you can go in and request your absentee ballot for the January 5th runoff. You can also download an application if you want to mail it in. You can do that as well. Uh, so there are a number of ways uh, that you can get ready to for that uh, January 5th Uh, runoff and be able to request your absentee ballot. WBE's Emil Moffitt with the latest regarding as Georgia continues to count and of course calls for the Georgia Secretary of State to step down. Emil, who knows what tomorrow brings. I appreciate you taking the time. (laughs) We'll we'll be here to we'll be here to watch it. Thank you, Emil. Good, Good reporting. Closer Look returns in just a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Yes, send me an email, rose at wabe.org. Let me know what's happening in your community. You know, there are a lot of record-breaking numbers related to this presidential election. We know that voter turnout reached a high not experienced in 50 years. More than 144 million folks cast votes. And while some states are still counting, like Georgia, both President Trump and President-elect Biden received over 70 million votes. By the way, in case you're just wondering, how many votes did George Washington get in 1789? Does anybody know? Grace, my producer, do you know? Grace doesn't know. 43,782 votes. It was unanimous. That's what I'm here for, folks. Um, Of course, President Washington didn't have to worry about raising money for his campaign. But 231 years later, it is estimated the presidential and congressional campaigns will rack up about $14 billion. That's with the B dollars. Now, that projection is according to the nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics. And you may recall yesterday when I had this conversation with Julianne Thompson, I was blown away when she said the Democrats would spend a billion dollars. But then later we heard from a professor and said, you know what, maybe both parties will spend a billion dollars. And the spending isn't over, you know, because Georgia's two Senate races, Senate seats are headed to runoffs. Who will spend what and where? Only one man can answer this. Well, there are several people that can answer this. But for now, it's Atlanta-based political strategist Fred Hicks. Fred, welcome to the program. Hey, Rose. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Let's begin here. Folks like you and Julianne Thompson, who was on the show yesterday, said, look, a billion dollars could be spent towards these two Senate runoff elections. Fred, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, and uh, but there's a lot at stake. I know. You know. With, with this, it's kind of interesting that the control of the Senate is going to come down to Georgia. And what that really means functionally is that control of the U.S. government, control of the Biden agenda, comes down to the Georgia elections. And so there's a everybody who has any interest at all in, in, in what the government does has an interest in this election. Let me ask you this, Fred. This money, this will be newly from newly raised donation packs and other interest groups or a mixture of all of that? I think all of that. You'll have individual donors. Uh, you'll have packs. You'll have super uh, super packs. You know, so you'll have what we call soft money. That's money that is not is not spent by the campaign directly. And then you'll have hard money. That's money that's easily traceable, trackable, and is spent by the campaign. So between those two, uh, so you have four candidates, and you have uh, you have um, major committees out there called like the DSCC, Democratic Senate. Uh, congressional committee. You have the Republican version of it. You have uh, you have all these other groups that are, that are popping up around this, including those that are industry specific. So around environmental issues, around oil, around gas, around infrastructure, things like that, to uh, to get these people elected. I read where even commercial real estate groups may have an interest. They'll probably donate uh, on behalf of some of the Republicans because they want the Senate to remain with Republican Republicans for some other areas, obviously. But when you look at this, this one billion, let's kind of break this down for our listeners here, because obviously the first thing we think about, well, TV, TV ads, right? Now, yeah. I watch TV like everybody else, Fred. All right. Are you telling me that I'm going to be bombarded with candidates hugging puppies and folks riding tractors and 
<laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> just <laughs> should I just not watch TV for? I mean, you know, t- look, TV is always the most expensive um, expenditure that you have in a campaign, a campaign that's, that has the money to do it. Um, and we measure it in points. And so you have TV, number one, and think about this. Georgia has 11 different media markets that touch it. Mm-hmm. So you have about seven or eight that are wholly contained within Georgia. Then you have those that come in from Alabama, those that come in from Florida, those that come in from South Carolina, um, a little bit of North Carolina that dip into, into Georgia. And in a race like this, where you're talking about just a few thousand votes right now separating the candidates as is, you have to compete in every single one. It's no longer just about driving up big numbers in Metro Atlanta or driving up big numbers if you're Republicans like in Valdosta. This is going to be a battle for probably 500 vote chunks, so chunks of 500 votes here or there. So you might not get... You might get, uh, Republicans might get 70% in Cherokee County, mm-hmm. but if you're a Democrat, you can lower that to 68%. That 2% of the votes can make all the difference here. So TV, then you have radio, you have newspapers, and then now... Uh, I want to talk about digital. I want, And that digital. was my next question, though. Has digital, would digital be second? Has that taken over radio in terms of the neck, that next sort of medium that you will see all these campaigns, all these ads? <sighs> Yeah, you know, you have people who would say that it should. Um, and so digital takes many forms. So your Facebook, Instagram, kind of social advertising, and the things that follow you around the internet, and then you have your banner ads and things like that. So digital, uh, you, look, you're not playing the 21st century game if you're not playing digital. And if you're not on streaming services like Roku, Hulu, Pandora, Spotify, places like that. Wait, I got to hear them on Spotify and Pandora too? Oh, you're going to hear them everywhere. We know where you are, Rose, and we want your vote. All right. <laughs> think about this. So we, we're focusing on the, on the January 5th election, but you got to remember there's also a public service commission runoff coming up on December 1st, and Georgia Power, for example, has a vested interest in that. And so the spending should really kick off next week. You'll see people, you'll see spending for the December 1st runoff. You'll see uh, November 14th, the absentee ballots get mailed out. So right around the 14th, you're going to see, in, on top of the digital, on top of the radio, you're also going to see, uh, I'd probably turn my phone off because you're going to get a ton of text messages uh, from the candidates and from affiliate groups. And then you're also going to get a lot of auto calls. You're going to get a lot of uh, live phone banking. I mean, at this stake, with, with everything on the line, you can't leave any stone unturned. So any way that I can get in front of your eyes and get into your ears, I'm going to do it. They're not going to come through like, you know, through our smart speakers, are they? Because that'd be kind of scary. Alexa, play vote for me. <laughs> let me let me ask you this because actually there was one ad from the Warnock campaign that we saw immediately, and yes, I didn't mention hugging puppies because that's he was hugging a puppy. Uh, was strategic <laughs> in that sense because he kind of got out early saying, "Look, I'm already going to tell you what you're going to hear about me." Well, was that yeah. obviously that was strategic? Yeah, I thought it was actually pretty pretty brilliant because we know that this is going to devolve really quickly into ugly campaigning, right? So you're going to no, gonna it wouldn't get it wouldn't be ugly campaigning, now would it, Fred? I mean, you know, wait, wait, one person's ugliness is another person's path to victory, right? But let's talk so, about that, Fred. Let, hold up, let's talk about that because at this point, in your strategies, and I know we and everyone who listens, they know you work closely with the Democrats, and we we had the Republicans on yesterday, but I have Republican clients too. Okay. But let's talk about strategy here because the ugliness of it, don't you think folks may be a little bit tired of this right now? And, and perhaps yeah, will we see a different strategy? Will we see softer, kinder, more gentle candidates no. in these ads? Oh, you won't? Okay. Well, Not at take all. A shot. But, but that was the brilliance of the Warnock commercial in my, in my estimation. It didn't come out. So compared to the All South commercial, his 
first one, he's out there, he's aggressive, he's kind of attacking. But then uh, the Warnock commercial, he's smiling a lot. And, and that thing at the end, uh, you know, you met my son. He was with me in studio last year. He doesn't, he's 19. He doesn't pay attention to a lot of these kinds of things. He's on his TikTok or whatever. But when that commercial aired and he heard Warnock say, yes, I like puppies, he laughed and smiled and turned on and looked at the TV. And that's what you want to get, right? You know, of course, he's always wanted a dog. And I hate, well, I should say I hate dogs. Oh, don't you know, Fred. I, I love You puppies. will be banned from this show puppies. if you say you hate pets, man. <laughs> Closer money. Look is looking for a new political analyst and strategist. Send your emails to me, Rose at WAB.org, because this is Fred last day. Don't you come here and talk about you don't like animals, man. Watch my brother get bitten by a German Shepherd. Stop, like stop, stop. 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 But 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 back to politics. Yes. So it's gonna no, but seriously, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how how the campaigns choose to spend their money. You know, Politico has been has written a number of articles comparing the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign mm-hmm. and when they went up on air and how they invested. And then AOC out of um, out of New York commented that she believes that one of the reasons why Democrats lost house seats is they didn't invest enough in digital. Mm-hmm. So there there are a lot of different competing strategies and there's a product mix. How much do you spend on TV versus this versus that? Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. But also let's look at this. And by the way, if you're just joining us, I'm joined by Fred Hicks. He's a Atlanta-based political strategist. Uh, and let's talk about regions because you may not see a lot of obviously TV ads when you get in some of the rural parts of the state because let's be really clear if they don't have connectivity they may not be able to even get a lot of you know tv broadcast stations so they may be streaming but will you see just you obviously will see some different types of ad campaigns based on different regions of the state well not just based on different regions based on who you're trying to target so with digital um and with texting and all of that it allows me to really get granular and and target as a strategist um, and a demographer, I really specialize in segmentation. So the ad that you would see on your phone is very different than, say, the ad that the professor would receive and a different ad than other people would receive. Are you trying to say yeah. the professor is smarter than me, Fred? Is that what you're saying? Well, I just have different interests. They're yeah, dumbing yeah, down. They're campaigning for little old Rose Scott. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> we'll put puppies on there because we know you love puppies. Man, so lots and lots of puppies. But I, I, jo- I joke about that, but there's this whole commercial data world out there where someone like me, we buy a lot of commercial data so I, and I build profiles. Mm-hmm. So I, and, and those profiles turn into segments and I, we design ads based around those particular segments. So if I know that, for example, um, that, that, that pet cruelty is something that's really important to you, I can create and customize an ad that goes to people who care about that as a lead issue versus someone who cares about the economy or something like that. So not only will you see a plethora of ads, you're going to see a level of micro-targeting with respect to the ads that you haven't seen in, in Georgia before. How do they build those profiles again, Fred? How are you, how are they so it's through, through commercial data acquisition, to be honest with you. There's a lot a lot of the stuff that we do when you when you subscribe to a, a, a magazine or a Netflix or something like that, most of that stuff is available out there. Mm-hmm. So we have warehouses out there with thousands of data points that we can, you know, that someone like me that we will purchase and build profiles to, uh, to do it. It's the same thing that Macy's or DSW does when they're trying to figure out, you know, how, how to, how to, how to, uh, advertise for you. So politics sure. borrows from business and business borrows from politics. And in this election, given what's at stake, you're going to see everything. Let me ask but you some go, things. Well, let me ask you this because let's look at the Republicans for a moment because, and I asked the strategist this yesterday in terms of that messaging for Leffler and Purdue, do they take a risk and roll the, I still supported Donald Trump sort of message? Do they maybe back off that a little bit? Do they continue with this? The election is, there's some fraudulent, you know, activity going on. 
because I, I yeah. kind of get a sense that folks might be a little bit tired of that. I could be wrong. I'm just a journalist. Well, uh, I think they're tired of it as well. But uh, looking at what happened yesterday with them calling on Raffensperger to re to resign, it seems to me that they are fully committed to this backing Trump and whatever it is that he wants to do. And you know, and just um, just a little bit before, just this morning, I don't know if you saw it, but the New York Times uh, announced that Trump is planning to launch a pack that will play in this one. Mm -hmm. And so he's not letting go. Because to him, I guess this is his legacy. This is about a lot of other things. So even. He, whether it's he himself or through his sewer pack, he's going to play in this election. And by the way, folks, in case you're wondering, you will not hear or see any political ads on public radio stations or public uh, media outlets. And uh, that is for a very good reason. And it should be that way. Fred, let's and go. And that's because they contribute and they should contribute to NPR. Well, let's go back to the old fashioned way of bombarding folks' mailboxes and, and yard signs and, and, and all of that. It's still, is that effective for candidates? Still? Well, it is. I think one of the things you're going to see on the, from the Democrats this around that you did not see last time uh, was a field game. It was a field game. So Reverend Warnock, towards the end of the, closer to November 3rd, did launch a field game in Metro Atlanta and other places. Um, Ossoff didn't do as big of that. Republicans were really out there and very proud of the fact that they were knocking doors throughout the pandemic. At this stage, one of the other things, so you have mass media as a major expenditure category, mm -hmm. TV, radio, we put digital in there. You have mail as a completely different category. But with this one, I think you're going to really see a lot of door knocking as well because turnout tends to drop off, particularly in, uh, amongst minorities, and a runoff. And so I think you're going to see money put into the field to to uh, to knock doors, to transport voters to the polls, uh, to do a little bit of voter education, particularly in places where you have an overlap mm -hmm. with a December yeah. runoff, like the CD5 John Lewis's district. If I'm directing one of these things, I'm putting a lot of resources on the ground to make sure that people vote in the 5th Congressional, they vote in, Jan in January. So you're going to see a lot of that, too. So we'll see a lot of radio ads probably on urban, what's considered urban radio markets to drive Correct, the yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Fred, yeah. if you anticipate there won't be as many public events because of the pandemic, but you figure there will be some now, here's another question for you. Does President Trump, does he come back to Georgia to help Purdue and Leffler? Well, I think if he wants to come here, they can't say no to him. And look, look here's the reality. We really, there was a lot of excitement last week about Georgia voting for Biden for the first time, uh, voting for a Democrat for president for the first time since 92. But you look right beyond that. Republicans outvoted Democrats for public service commission for both Senate seats and up and down the line. Democrats did not get the 16 House seats that they wanted. So you could really say that you can't say that Georgia's a red state. You can't really truthfully say that Georgia's a blue state either. We're probably solidly in that purple space. And so if I am a Republican strategist, if I'm Leffler, if I'm Purdue, you look at the numbers, you know, and Purdue received more votes than Trump, you know, you always have to solidify your base before you try to reach across anywhere. So mm -hmm. I, I, could see, I could see President Trump coming down here. Um, and if he wants to, they cannot say no because... Hey, look, he delivered the governorship to Brian Kemp, and he's delivered. If he had gotten involved on, on behalf of Doug Collins, Kelly Leffler wouldn't be in this runoff right now. So they, can, they can't spur him if he decides to do it. And on the other side, might we see some big Democratic names come down here? Oh, we, look, we saw right before the election, right, President Obama. We saw... Um, you know, we saw Biden, we saw Harris. I expect all of them. I even expect Michelle to come to spend some time down here. Um, and I think that you're going to see Democrats who used to be 
um, on the scene here locally. I mean, everyone should be engaged at this point. If, if the campaigns are going to be successful on both sides, Leffler, Purdue have to bring out every Republican elected official. And if you're on the Democratic side, you have to bring out every uh, elected official and influence you have. So you're going to see rappers, you're going to see singers, you're going to see entertainers, you're going to see the president, you're going to see a lot of people here. Georgia, you know what? This could quite possibly be the, the best jobs program for Georgia in a long time. You're going to see a lot of people get a good short-term amount of money in this one. I saw a tweet where someone said, listen, all you folks coming in here to Georgia for this short period of time, don't be you know, making our uh, housing affordability issues increase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you know, that's a sensitive spot for me. I care a lot about housing affordability. It's something that we haven't right. fully well, addressed yet. Andrew Yang says he's moving here for a, mo- a minute. Was he going to work the phone bank? What's he going to do? Well, he's a digital guy, so that maybe that'll that'll put a little bit more emphasis on the digital side. Look, I haven't seen the final breakdown of how money was spent, at least hard money, between the two camps, uh, or the four candidates. But I, I don't believe that. Democrats invested as much in digital as they should have or could have. Um, and I think that I think that you're going to see that change. And again, I think that you're going to see the the level of money, the amount of money put into the field on the ground change also. Let me ask you, Fred, before I let you go, because, listen, there's another group that we really haven't talked about. You have some folks who are now 17 that come January 5th, they will be 18 or they'll be eligible to vote. So we might we see some get out the vote initiatives, registration for these folks who are on on that 17, but I'm about to be 18 group. Yeah, you know, in Georgia, you can register at 17 and a half, and if there's an election after you turn 18, you can do that. And then the other part of this is the voter registration deadline. And for everyone listening, there is another deadline. If you were not registered to vote for November 3rd, as long as you register by December 7th, you can vote in the January 5th um, runoff. And that's one of those other dynamics, Rose, that's going to impact this election. And for someone like me, a political marketer, you might call it, that's that's a group I'll definitely be looking at. So, yeah, so you're going to have new people on the rolls who can uh, vote in this election that you didn't have before. Stay tuned. Atlanta-based political strategist Fred Hicks, as always, good talking to you. Um, You were just kidding about you didn't like dogs, right? Oh, of course. I love and cats I love puppies <laughs> no thank you very much appreciate so you taking time Fred take care alrighty thank you take care we're back in a moment Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Yes, it was just a week ago, of course, Election Tuesday. And while the presidential contests and Georgia's two U.S. Senate races continue to go on a lot of attention, as those election results were unfolding, there's something that happened. For the first time, we now have at least four county commission chairs that will be held by black women. There's Carlotta Harrell in Henry County. Dr. Ramona Jackson-Jones in Douglas County, Lisa Cubitt in Cobb County, and Nicole Henderson in Gwinnett County. But this also got us to thinking, do folks really understand the role of the county commission, the county commission chair? And over in DeKalb, where our good friend CEO Michael Thurman is, some folks say, why do we have a county CEO? Why do we have county commissions? Where did all this come from? Georgia is the only state in the nation where counties have a commission and commission chair. So I figured, who could I ask to talk about this who is no longer 
an elected official. So we welcome someone who has his own opinion. He's a former longtime public servant and who now teaches political science at Spelman College. Former Fulton County Commission Chairman John Eves. Welcome. Hey, Rose. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You pulled me out of retirement. Man, what you been doing? Where you been? You've been trying to run hey. for stuff and not making it. <laughs> yeah, I was on a sabbatical up in, in Gwinnett County for about two years. <laughs> there wasn't no sabbatical, man. You was <laughs> but I'm back in Atlanta now. <laughs> uh, look, what, what made you want to now uh, be a political science professor? I'm just curious. You had well, some you knowledge know, you wanted to impart to the students. You know, listen, I've become a political junkie you know, by, by practice. Uh, I'm actually trained as an educator. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize this, but I'm really a, a teacher and a college administrator. In fact, Fred Hicks is a former student of mine. Oh, that explains it all. <laughs> <laughs> He's brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> that explains but, uh, a lot. Yeah, uh, but I've, I've come to love politics. And so Spellman really gave me a great opportunity to share some of my practical experiences these wonderful dynamic students over there. Before we get into understanding what county commissions and chairmen and all that do, I just want to get your, your thoughts on this election season in general. What do you make of that here? And particularly, obviously, in Georgia and Georgia becoming, as folks won't say blue or red, some will, but saying Georgia is at least very purple. You've you've been around for a long time. What, did you ever think Georgia would be this much of a major player in a presidential election and, and Senate seats? I did. Maybe not in 2020, but I did. I, I saw it trending. In fact, I saw it trending in Fulton County um, back in 2006. My uh, observation is a little bit more optimistic than Fred Hicks. I, I certainly respect him. He certainly has crunched the numbers and certainly understands all the ins and outs. But I'm a little bit more optimistic. And I believe that over the next six to eight weeks here in Georgia, particularly with the resources coming in, there's going to be an incredible amount of energy that will be coming in and generating in the state, especially in the metro Atlanta region. And so I'm I'm more optimistic than he is. And I think that this is like a shark smelling blood in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, you come looking for the kill. And I think that this is a great opportunity for the state to do something special. Let's let's look at the county, the, the local, the, the county government form of government here, because as mentioned, Georgia is the only state in the country with this type of county commission. And you have a commission chair. Um, and you remember some years ago over in DeKalb, there was calls to get rid of the CEO. And in fact, there was a bill that was introduced to the General Assembly to abol abolish the, the county CEO position. Now, to be fair, that was during a time when DeKalb had some issues, some entanglements, <laughs> government entanglements, and it went nowhere. But for a minute, it had the support of then-Governor Nathan Deal. You were in Fulton County government. What would you make of that, that possibly that could have been the turning point for maybe people saying, you know what, we don't need a county CEO. We may not even need county commissions. What do you make of that? That time? Yeah, it was to me, Rose, it was a it was a political power play. Um, the CEO position in DeKalb County was actually created maybe about 20 years ago mm -hmm. when um, uh, Leah Vatan was um, the CEO. She's the first female and CEO of that county. And the political dynamic in DeKalb County was much different than it was when you just referenced. And I think it was a power play. Uh, it was a feeling that there was too much power in the hands of the CEO. You had a little bit of duplication. You had a CEO, then you had a commission. Mm -hmm. You had a chair of that commission. And so the legislature, with the support of Governor Deal, wanted to change it. But county government is incredibly important in the state of Georgia. Let's talk about the relationship with a county commission and its city. Sometimes it can be great. 
Sometimes it can be tense field. How you've been in that role, how challenging is that? Because you want to, obviously, you're there to serve the entire county, but you also want to make sure you have a good relationship with your city folks, with your, with your city-level officials as well. But that can be challenging. It can be challenging, but it's a workable um, op- opportunity. You know, one of the things I'm very proud of during my 11 years of is serving as chairman of Fulton County, we actually had a very good relationship with South Fulton cities and North Fulton cities. Um, it wasn't always that way from the beginning, but over mm-hmm. time with trust and reaching out, it really became a very um, harmonious relationship. And we did some good things in terms of branding the, the county as a one Fulton entity along economic development and transportation lines. Well, let me ask you this, John, because was there the cityhood wave, albeit it was slow, but Sandy Springs really kicked something off here. Um, when you when there was a cityhood wave, did it, it seemed like there was a little bit more of a of an interesting relationship between the commissions and the cities because the city says, look, you know, we're going to be our own cities, and there's some services we want for you, and there's some services that we don't. How did you view that? Were you in favor of this cityhood movement that was it was sort of you know increasing here? So your assessment is is right. Um, I will say that the Sandy Springs and to a certain degree Johns Creek mm-hmm. and Camp Milton, I believe, Milton. they sort of preceded me. Um, not to say I was some savior, but that movement preceded me. And once it's that the, the incorporation of cities became sort of gained momentum, I just embraced it and decided to almost reimagine what county government could look like and it involved a good relationship between the county and the cities. But was there this perception, particularly in Fulton County, and this is through your lens now because you're no longer involved in the government there, but but there was a perception that for some in the northern part of the county felt they were paying for folks in the southern part of the county, you know, and saying, you know, we shouldn't have to to deal with that. Look, it's it's, some call it the the haves and the have-nots. You can throw race in there. You can definitely throw, you know, socioeconomic status in there. That was a real thing. That was a real was, issue for some people. It, it, it was. And so you're right. It was it was part racial, part geographic, part partisan. Um, but once the cities were formed and we tried to establish a good relationship, and then we did a much better job of the equitable distribution of resources north and south, many of those worries went away. In fact, you may remember, Rose, that there was a strong effort to succeed mm-hmm. for North Fulton to succeed and be its own county, yep. Milton County. And so that was really prominent in 2007, eight, nine-ish. But though it, over time, it went away with a more balanced type of leadership that I provided with the support of the Board of Commissioners. Why have a county commission chair and not just have a commission? You need to have somebody who is a point person for county government who is designated as the official spokesperson you also need somebody to oversee and manage the budgetary process. And then thirdly, you need somebody who, who signs off on legal documents on behalf of the government. So you do need to have a chairman. You do need to have someone who's designated as a point person. So it's not um, sort of just a name, a position in name or ceremonious. It's actually a position that has some degree of authority. Well, and here's a, an email from a listener who wanted to know, they said, Rose, please ask, what's the difference between a county manager, and then the commission chair? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, 
the, the board of commissioners are really in effect like board of directors. We have a governing role. We oversee the operations of the government. We, we, um, we introduce and, and approve policy. We also approve um, budgets. But at the same time, there's the day-to-day -day operation of the government, which mm -hmm. you have in Fulton County's case, 5,000 employees, mm -hmm. and you had numerous departments. And so you had to have a professional administrator who served as a manager of those departments and those employees. And we as a board, we oversaw, we provided supervision of that county manager. And so the county manager is a day-to-day -day operator. He's a non-elected official, mm -hmm. the board of directors, the board of commissioners, they are elected officials. How challenging is it when the county commission and maybe a city, and we can use the city of Atlanta because I think they're a perfect example, there's some other ones, uh, when we get into development deals and economic development, and we you've, you've been around this, Johnny, so you know, there are always, the, you got a lot of stakeholders involved here. What's key to working with city leaders and other stakeholders when it comes to development deals in a county? And particularly also, you we, we can get into this a little bit later, unincorporated and incorporated areas, that's a whole nother issue. It gets a little, yeah. gets a little tense. It is, it, it is, uh, Rose. Um, in fact, it's, it's competitive. And, you know, so the Development Authority of Atlanta as well as Fulton County will sometimes be available for developers to do projects. And sometimes developers will be almost in a buyer's market or seller's market, I'll say, in terms of being able to pick and choose which authority they can go to to get the best deal. And sometimes it was good uh, for the developer, but it may not have necessarily been the best deal for the taxpayer in terms of tax incentives that were offered, tax breaks that were offered. Um, yeah. So it is competitive. Well, There's you no could deal. you could look at Cobb County and Atlanta Braves. Some would say, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> but a little bit to your point. Uh, at the end of the day, Cobb found a better deal. Sorry, the Braves found a better deal in Cobb County. But I think that, you know, of course, hindsight, if if the Braves had listened to me, they would have still oh. been here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay. That's what that's what it was. So all right, okay. <laughs> um, did you make mistakes as commission chair that you're willing to admit to right now? Of course I did. You know. There's no, there's no playbook, there's no blueprint when you get elected to office. Here was for me having served as a regional director, Peace Corps, government agency, sending people overseas to Africa and South America, et cetera. I got elected in 2006, never been elected before and had responsibility for big government. I didn't know what the heck I was doing at first. So what you run for, then what you get involved for? <laughs> well, I mean, when you run for office, you, you know, you run and people vote for you because they have confidence in that your ability. That is true. Well, that's what we're but talking no about, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's no blueprint that you follow. I mean, you know, you just, just sort of have to learn on the job. And so I made some mistakes. Um, I don't think that they were um, costly mistakes. I, I certainly feel that I got better over time. Mm -hmm. I feel that when I left 11 years later, people had a pretty favorable impression of me. What was one of those mistakes, John Eves? Wow. Um, you know, whenever, whenever I made decisions based on my values, I was usually right. For example, Grady Hospital, I felt that the right thing to do was to push Grady Hospital to have a different partnership, a public-private partnership. And at the end of the day, I was right. 
but there were a few times and I think I think I regret the the um the relationship that I had with um Mayor Kasim Reed I think it could have been a much better relationship um so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I regret is that you had two strong I think leaders he certainly had a higher profile I uh, had I had a lesser profile but I wish we could have had been on the same page and could have delivered better for not only Fulton and Atlantic but for the whole region do you think citizens really truly understand I mean I think they have a, a, a ge- generic sort of explanation of what these county commissions do but do you think that they understand how much power they really do have to hold folks accountable and beyond the voting but also to to make sure that they're holding these commissions because these commissioners, whether whether it's by district or what have you, hold them accountable and then ask for more, ask for what they need. Do you think they really understand the the power that there or is there no power really with the citizens? And it does only lie with the commission. What do you think? No, you know, uh, Rose, in fact, as a professor, instructor at Spelman College teaching political science, that's one of the things I tell the students you don't realize how much power you have. And you also don't realize how few people really are civically engaged, know what's going on, attend meetings, um, speak out during public comment, attend public hearings. And so often it's a few, a small percentage of the whole that actually influences public policy. And so my critique is citizens should understand, keep abreast, get engaged because the power of the direction of government and its response to citizens is truly in their hands that they get engaged. But too often, an overwhelming majority of the people do not know what's going on and are not engaged. We we talked about cityhood for a moment, but I just want to get your thoughts because I'm curious, do you, are, do you think we're, we're done with seeing this swell of, of, of areas wanting to become their own little cities and, you know, like, you think about Henry County and then the issues that they have. Are you think we th- you think we're done with that or? No, no, we're not, Rose. We're done with it in Fulton County. Um, I think about ninety-eight percent of Fulton County is now municipalized. Almost mm-hmm. every part of the county consists of some city. That well, just... some folks want Buckhead to be a city. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, that's a little bit harder, but I think because they got to carve out from within the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But, um, but. Gwinnett County. So I spent the past year and a half in Gwinnett County. You have a large unincorporated area in Gwinnett County. And I believe now with this sort of demographic shift in Gwinnett County, you're going to begin to see what happened in Fulton County uh, 10, 12 years ago, where mm-hmm. in pockets of unincorporated areas that will become uh, uh, cities. Um, in fact, Peachtree Corners, where I lived for a year and a half, that was actually a new city. It, mm-hmm. It was an unincorporated area that had the name Norcross, but it was unincorporated. And they decided that they wanted to become a city. So I do see this incorporation movement expanding to some of the outer counties, particularly where there's some demographic shifts. Unfortunately, in my opinion, a lot of this is is race and economic driven, where the more affluent areas that were once incorporated may want to figure out how they can be a city so that they can control the resources better as mm-hmm. opposed to having their resources or their tax dollars spread throughout the in- unincorporated area. And we have had many conversations about about that. By the way, for listeners, there is a handbook for Georgia County Commissioners. It's actually published by the Carl Vincent Institute of Government at UGA. So in case you're wondering, the handbook's out there. John Eves, final question before I let you go. Are you done seeking office? You know what? I love 
politics. I love public policy. I'm not done. It's just a matter of me really recalibrating. I feel I have a lot of public policy and public service in me. I still feel I have a good brand. People do ask me to consider this and consider that. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, my eye is still open and my ears are open as well. <laughs> Former Fulton County Commission Chairman John <laughs> Eves, as well as longtime public servant and now who teaches political science at Spelman College. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for giving your lens about the role of Georgia's county commissions. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Rose. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I say, I'm Rose Scott. Of course, this show is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. And our engineer is Shelly Kanavy, who is spinning the tune. She's like a DJ with digital stuff there. <laughs> Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.